Welcome back to another episode of You Are Just a Number podcast, a podcast regarding leadership, teamwork, process improvement, and the passion people display. Today's podcast is with Gary Smith, a second generation supply chain geek who followed in his father's footsteps. He has experience in both the private and public sector. He was responsible for the supply chain for all the repair parts for the New York City's transit system. Additionally, Gary is a consultant and as an author has written many articles and white papers on the topic. To learn more, visit our website, which is youarejustanumber.com. That's the letters youarejustanumber.com, all one word. I'm Jim Zellin, your host. So let's listen to Gary's remarkable journey. Hello, everyone. Today, my guest is Gary Smith. He's an independent supply chain consultant, author, speaker, and mentor. He has 40 plus years in his career, including leadership positions in many places within the supply chain. So welcome aboard, Gary. Thanks, Jim. I appreciate the uh, opportunity. So, Gary, why don't you tell our listeners how you got to where you are today? Well, it's an interesting journey, at least I think so, but uh, we'll see. Uh, I actually consider myself a second-generation supply chain person. My father was in supply chain uh, starting uh, as long as I can remember uh with starting with companies like Montgomery Wards and their catalog division back in way back in the day. Um uh, and then he worked um uh, I and I actually toured my first distribution center and when I was seven years old in York, Pennsylvania, when he was operations manager at McCrory's distribution center, which was a large dime store chain in the uh along the East Coast uh uh, in the sixties and seventies. And, um, so, you know, and then he went to work for JC Penney catalog and he opened, he was with the, the group that actually started the catalog division in 1963 when, uh, JC bought general merchandise in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And so we moved to Milwaukee and, uh, I grew up in Menominee Falls actually, uh, toured the distribution center a lot of times i mean you know there's something to do on a uh, cold uh winter's day in wisconsin as you probably well know and um uh really i i don't know it stuck with me i i i loved you know learned to love what he did uh seeing the this merchandise come at, come in people demanding it uh our home was filled with jc penny stuff and uh, it it kind of stuck with me. So when uh, uh, we actually moved to uh, Atlanta, where he became uh, center manager for the Atlanta Distribution Center, and uh, I went to high school and college down there. And when I graduated, I started with uh, started out working at J.C. Penney, and it was a great pr- uh, training ground. But it it stuck with me because I ended up, even though I didn't stay with J.C. Penney. I moved, I stayed within supply chain. I, I loved it. I got into consulting, um, learned to uh, design 
distribution centers, learn to uh, put together distribution networks, learn to do inventory management projects, et cetera, and probably spent about 25 years in the private sector working for various uh, uh, architectural and engineering firms and consulting firms, and also as uh, in, in warehouse operations as well. And then uh, in uh, 2004, I was actually uh, an independent consultant at that time. And a friend of mine uh, contacted me that we had, we had worked previously and uh, together at KPMG. And she said, I've got this company up there here in, up, up in New York City. Uh, actually, it's a, a public, it was the New York City Housing Authority. And they said, and she said, I, I need some inventory help. So I was hired and brought on as an independent consultant. Uh, I connected with the my client and uh, became the director of supply chain for the New York City Housing Authority. And after living in Atlanta for 35 years, moved lock, stock, and barrel to New York City and lived in Queens. We subsequently lived in Queens, um, in Tribeca, and then I uh, transitioned from the New York City Housing Authority to vice president of supply chain for the uh, New York City Transit where we were handling all the parts and distribution for repair parts for the uh, uh, trains and buses uh, in the city of New York. Um, and then uh, moved out to Long Island, uh, was there for 18 years, transitioned to, the, to become uh, chief of the uh, enterprise asset management supply chain uh, and, um, the rest is history after 18 years in, in, uh, working for the, the city, uh, I retired. Now I live in St. Simons, Georgia, where I, um, I do some consulting. I do some, I write about supply chains, uh, and, uh, written, uh, several articles. And now I'm also teaching, uh, uh, Apex training for uh, uh, supply chain certification chain is it when you were in like with new york and everything with the with the the metro with well with the bus and uh train was this is it like global supply chain or is it more domestic supply chain bought those parts and then brought them into the city and then of course used them within the five boroughs so it was kind of like you know there there were some things that came, probably at the at the more at the uh, tier one tier, or tier two, tier three level that was imported. But most of our stuff came from our uh, uh, primary manufacturers as far as repair parts. So did you also then kind of like have a uh, inventory of like just-in-time inventory was a big buzzword, you know, how, you know, because you also had to worry about your inventory too, right? Your inventory dollars. Right. We had to worry about our inventory dollars, but uh, it's a little bit different in in, uh, in the public sector in that uh, we didn't, um, 
worry as much about just in time as uh, we did a, a, about making sure that we had the parts. So it was it was interesting. We you know I mean we had to make sure we had the right number of parts. And you know I was always trying to keep as minimum amount as we could, but at the same time I had nothing. I, I uh, again I was warehousing and issuing parts i wasn't procuring them so it was more up to the procurement people to do that and sometimes we came in a little bit of a loggerhead because you'd, you'd come in there and you'd say wait a minute this stuff has been sitting around for you know a little you know some time can we you know not buy so much of it and so there were there was there was that kind of an issue from time to time um because even though some things are metal and they don't, you know, unless they rust or something like that, they can become obsolete. Mm -hmm. so we, you could buy stuff and, it, it, you know, theoretically you'd risk obsolescence because we no longer uh, had that bus or had that particular uh, subway car model in in in, uh, in stock or, you know, running in in our system. So, so I, I, and again, being in New York City, I mean, you had to have one heck of a warehouse because, I mean, you got a lot of buses, the trains, the uh, the subways. I mean, you had a lot of stuff to worry about. Yeah, we had um, our, we had uh, three main warehouses. And then we had, uh, we also were responsible for the storerooms that were within the main dep bus depots and subway barns in the uh, you know in the city and so um when you add it all up it was probably about a million and a half square feet oh wow uh, total and um but again the idea was to make sure that the storerooms had the right supply of material because different storerooms uh service different buses and then sometimes they would switch fleets around, um, you know, not so much with the with the trains, but definitely with the buses. And then all of a sudden you had to take all that, all those parts that were dedicated to that particular bus and move them as well with the okay. fleet. Okay. okay. So, so you, you go back in here and you say in here, you told me that, you know, like, you know, you're an author, you're a mentor, a speaker. So um, how many books have you written? Or well, I haven't written any books yet. Okay, you. Okay, what do you write? I, I, I I've written um, uh, three articles that have uh, that were published in Supply Chain Management Review. Mm -hmm. One in um, two thousand uh, or twenty twenty, one in twenty twenty one, and one in twenty twenty two, and they're basically about supply chains in sort in 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 the post uh covid era in addition to that uh i i have written in the past i've written in, uh, i had a column in apex magazine for a number of years called executive view where i talked about different aspects of the supply chain and currently i write an article for uh a group called supply chain mavens which is a, a, a training organization for Apex certification, and uh, they the the founders of that, uh, who are friends of mine that I've known for 
a decade apiece, asked me, uh, said, we really like your, you know, some of the, th the articles and things that you've written. Would you write for us? So I write a monthly column for them for their newsletter. Also now am writing white papers for them as well. And I did recently, uh, late, late last year, I published one on China. But uh, the column that I write is called For What It's Worth, sort of my tip of the hat to Buffalo Stri Springfield. Okay. <laughs> yeah. 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 And uh, and so uh, and I write about different subjects uh, of the supply chain that that interest me. Okay. And it's they're short articles, but they're but they're a lot of fun to do. They're, the white papers are much longer. They're you know, um, very detailed. They're, they're a lot more detailed. I did one. Like I said, I did one on uh China, and I'm coming out with another one in probably the next month or so. So, to our listeners, where where could they find your articles and or white papers? By subscribing to the uh, Supply Chain Mavens newsletter, which uh, is is a free subscription, uh, and they uh, it's 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 at uh, www dot supply chain mavens all one word mm -hmm. uh, dot net okay okay so i see here one of the things that uh really caught my eye was i know you gave a presentation to um uh, asq in new in the new haven chapter of connecticut and uh, you did a virtual meeting with them. And the thing was, the title was The Roaring Twenties in Supply Chain Management. Three trends that will challenge supply chains in the coming decade. Okay. Can you right. uh, can you shed a little light on that? Okay. Well, yes. That's That was actually the second article I've, I, I wrote. Uh, the original articles were the, those were the three that um, appeared in Supply Chain Management Review. For that one and the one before that, which was called After the Dust Settles, I had put together uh, presentations on both of them. And so you, you saw the one on, on the Roaring 2020s. What, uh, what I talk about there is I, I, I said, basically what's going to be happening is because of COVID-19 changed, changed the world. As, oh, big as far as that's concerned. And, and we all know that. And I'm, you know, you, getting past that, though, I said there's... There's three trends that uh, there, and, and there are obviously more than that, but the three that I, I see that will really challenge supply chain people in the, in the coming decade and more are the fact that one, the baby boomer generation is retiring. Okay. That is a group of, you know, us, myself included, um, that, uh, 76 million people are retiring, you know, and have retired since 2011 and will retire up through 2031. And, and when, and that is one, probably one of the great shifts of population change in, you know, in, in, that have occurred right. in history. And because of that, we're going to be losing all of those of, of that knowledge that they're that they're when they when they go out the door that knowledge goes with them and unless we have ways of uh, corporations have ways of capturing that knowledge we're going to be losing a lot of those things and you know i mean you see that all the time where you know 
you you have people in organizations that do things that and when they retire six months later somebody says well that report that used to come out from the you know this particular department we're not getting that anymore and that was that was really worthwhile and they go oh wait a minute well betty you know or jim retired and they were responsible for making that report and now it's not being done and you know because what's happening is people are retiring and they're not replacing them or they're or or they're they're replacing them after they've left and by that time everything you know all that knowledge has gone out the door so that in itself those 76 million people represent about three and a half billion years of experience when you really when you take a look at it on the gross level and you know it, un, unless we're doing things like you do having having uh you know uh, knowledge transfers uh, uh where we're actually sitting down with people and finding out what do you do how do you do it codifying those particular jobs you know writing job descriptions you know you, you hear about it all the time that there are job descriptions for abc well a lot of companies don't have job descriptions and i'm talking about the some of the smaller ones and what happens is people you end up reinventing the wheel and you know you can't find that data and remember not everybody is, not every company is tied to uh, or tie, you know has computers right. you know, we're not all we're, we're it's 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 not it's it's not NCIS everywhere where they've got these instant computers that can pull everything out of out, out of the air or or uh so so those types of things you know you can't wrap it's not wrap we're not wrapping up a a, a story in an hour you know on tv what happens right, is you, right. you have to find these and you have to read you have to dig it up so okay. you need programs like knowledge transfer programs which are some of them are manual some of them are there are actually software packages out there that you know you can go through certain steps to be able to sit down with people and say what do you do how do you do it you know what reports do you take what where do you get this information etc another thing is through mentoring programs so that younger people can understand what older people in the company are doing and how you know and bringing bringing them up to speed faster um and you know another way is through you know uh formalizing the exit interview process so that you know when people do leave whether it's voluntarily or involuntarily they're uh understand you know you understand what you know what what is the company doing right what what did the company do wrong how can we make it better how can we keep people because um what's what's happening is in addition to not only the baby boomers we're also hitting this covid thing where we're 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 running into the so the great quit people are quitting and they're quitting organizations because they realize, Hey, I don't need this stuff anymore. You know, these, these companies aren't supporting me, et cetera. That's a different story, but that's still part of it. Um, so you've got the baby boomers that are leaving. The next thing is this. The second thing that's out there is that the, the amount of rapid change in, in organ in, in what's happening now. I mean, uh, change is occurring at exponential rates. Um, we had it. It took 
a couple of hundred years, you know, we hit the industrial revolution in, in, in the uh, uh, mid 18th century. In the, in the late 19th century, we hit uh, industry 2.0 where we started electrifying everything. Then in the 1940s, we hit in industry 3.0, which was the beginning of the dawn of computerization. In less than 60 years, we've hit industry 4.0, which is, you know, now we've got the age of uh, artificial intelligence and uh, digitization, et cetera. And uh, it, things are happening faster and faster and faster. And what's happening is it's happening at a rate that people cannot absorb the changes uh, rapidly enough. And so what happens is it creates a lot of frustration, creates a lot of job loss and people and churning. Uh, there are there are jobs out that, that are disappearing, uh, manufacturing jobs, et cetera. But they're also and to be able to keep up with what's going on out there and, and to be able to make themselves relevant, uh, continually relevant in society. Mm -hmm. And then so, the third, well, ahead, and then the, the, the third thing is uh, climate change. And I think that uh, climate change, you know, it's, it's, it's um, uh, John Maynard Keynes said in the long run, we're all dead. Well, with climate change, we could be. And the problem there is that we have to, you know, re reduce the amount of uh, uh, carbon we're putting, we're pumping into the atmosphere. We have to eliminate basically 50 51 gigatons a year that we're pumping into the atmosphere by 2050. Uh, that seems to be the tipping point that a lot of, uh, you know, many scientists agree seem to be the, the point out there. Um, but in, in, in addition to that, uh, we have to, so what we have to do is to do that, we have to do more with renewables and also, you know, and, and find other ways in addition to that, not only the renewables, but that's not going to get us there all the way. What we have to do is find breakthrough technologies. And this is where um, organizations need to uh, basically get in there and in, in, in a lot of organizations and governments need to get in there and do a Manhattan project on, on, uh, on clean energy and see how and, and look at it from the standpoint of how do we get past this? There are, and, you know, there are uh, also things that supply chain managers and supply chain directors, et cetera, can do to minimize their own carbon footprints so that we, you know, so everybody's kind of in this together. And I outline about 10, 10 recommendations that are very doable for supply chain people mm -hmm. in the article. So so, ba so basically, you're coming back. I mean, I, you know, listening to you, I mean, there has to be innovation. Totally agree with that. Okay. And it sounds like we're losing a regardless, people are quitting on everything, but and the baby boom's retiring, but it comes down to we're losing the experience that was out there. All everything that was learned by the baby boomers and the people saying, you know, the great quit is is not being captured good enough and i tend to agree and it's going to be tough to capture because because you know i am a baby boomer and one of the things that i always talk to people about is you know you want to transfer this stuff this information but part of that information 
is very difficult to obtain because if it's common knowledge to me, I actually believe it's common knowledge to you. So I don't tend to transfer as quick as I will transfer something that isn't that common. And I found and gave it to somebody, if you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So I, I, I do believe, I do totally agree with you that we are losing that vast knowledge. Okay. Because, um, everything a lot everybody learns on experiences and truthfully a lot of innovation is based on experience okay i mean it, it was the innovation is based on people's experience of you know what they couldn't do or what they wanted to do and couldn't get done but you know what i'm trying to say there Gary. right yeah and and see that's the, the whole thing is um we need to uh, in, in my opinion, companies and people within companies need to communicate better with each other so that you find out what what do people do? How do they do it? And the idea there is what's happening is not to, not to just pave over the cow path, so to speak. You don't want to do the same thing again. What you need, what what needs to happen is companies need to capture this knowledge but then they need to um utilize it in a way that you know we can we can uh we can computerize it we can we can <clears throat> excuse me load load this into uh, software packages that le leverage artificial intelligence so that we can learn from it and say okay we did it we we, we did this report and we did a b c d well now we need to uh, streamline that operation so that we can uh, utilize uh, computers or utilize, uh, you know, uh, part of a person's time rather than a full-time person to do this. And because, uh, and by doing that, we can uh, minimize uh, the amount of work that's, that's there. And, um, digitize it and and bring it forward you know into the next century so to speak mm -hmm. so that we can we can you know capture those those concepts but then be able to uh utilize them in a different way because uh, uh there are fewer people out there and then and, and, and you know to replace the baby boomers and when when and but they're also very smart people i mean the 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 generation x Generation Z, et cetera, grew up on computers. People like you and I, 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 I got my first uh, computer when I was probably five or six years but, out of school. But I want to change. I want to just jump, jump in here. Okay. Mm -hmm. You and I are digital immigrants. Okay. We immigrated into the digital world. Okay. Generation X, Generation Z. They're digital natives. They were born in the digital world. However, okay, they are good at some things of innovation, but what they're not so good at is they don't want to learn like the digital immigrants. We needed to learn and immigrate into that world. They're into that world. And they see that mm -hmm. world a lot different than we do, okay? They, they they want certain things to be just right the way they grew up in the digital world. They want everything to be that iPad. Oh, I can do this, 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 and this. Mm -hmm. 
but they can't. Okay. And that's where the innovation comes into. So yes, I totally agree that the digital natives are much more knowledgeable of the digital world than we are, but they're not that willing to learn that much as much as the digital immigrants because we had to, and we did. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's a different, it's a different setting. That's all I'm just just trying to yeah. say. I and and I t I totally agree with you, and I I, I think you 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 got a really good real good point there. And but what we and that's why we need to leverage electronics and the computers to be able to capture that knowledge get, to capture that knowledge exactly. Right. And that's 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 the that that's one of the keys because by capturing it in in a in digital form, then the next generation can use it to to uh, to create the innovations of uh, of the future. Right. So I got just one more. I got just one more question for you in here. Um, you say you're a mentor. What are you mentoring? Uh, well, supply chain and helping people learn what you've learned. Is that what you're, what you're doing? Primarily, yes. I mean, uh, I've been involved with ASCM, which is the Association of Supply Chain Management for since the late 90s and have been involved in that and they, they have mentoring programs we had mentoring programs at the mta uh where i basically you know i i use it to you know mentor primarily supply chain people because that's my background okay uh and and you know the people who are moving in into the supply chain field or you know and, and what should we do in these particular areas and uh, how do I get into the, how do I get into supply chain? Because supply chain is uh, a tremendously growing field. I oh, mean, you time. can do any, you can do it. You can do anything in there. I mean, you, if you're, if you're a computer person, you can work on supply chain uh, uh, software and programs and things like that. If you're an operations person, you can work in warehouses and distribution and, you know, if you're a salesperson, you can sell, uh, you know, your, uh, you know, 3PL services or whatever supply chain services, mm -hmm. trucking services, et cetera. So um, there's a tremendous, tre it's tremendously growth oriented field because there's a lot of opportunities in it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so that's primarily what I, what I do from a, a mentoring standpoint. Right. And I do that through a couple of things. And like I said, through my articles, through, you know, one-on-ones with, uh, with people and, in, in uh, uh, young people in, in the, in supply chain. And also, uh, as I move into and become, uh, you know, teach the certifications, et cetera, for, for ASCM. Okay. So let me ask you one question before we part. Okay. Is there any particular thing that you, you'd like to share with, with our listeners? Like, you know, what, what something, some great advice you can give them? Yeah, actually there's, there's, there's a couple of things. And I think we've, we've touched on one, uh, uh, some of them here. And one is be open to lifelong learning. I mean, I, uh, you still obviously are, are, are a proponent of that because you're doing podcasts and you reach out to people like me, et cetera, and other people in the org in, 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 in leadership and business, et cetera. But I have been a lifelong leader um, or learner for, for, you know, me my entire life. And I still do it. I still, mm -hmm. 
I want to learn. I, uh, you know, and I, and I, and I, and I learn every day. So uh, be a lifelong learner. Um, be a versatile leader. I read an article recently um, in the Harvard Business Review that talks about they they love these two by two matrix matrices where you know on one side on one axis you you've got forceful leaders and at the other end of the of, of the spectrum you've got uh, uh, leaders that are inclusive you know what do you think type type leaders mm -hmm. on the other axis you've got your strategic and then you've got your operations you're down in the dirt and what they want what they're saying in this article is that you want to have common a combination of all those things to be a versatile leader mm -hmm. but really only about 10% of leaders in their estimation and they've done uh they talked to like 25,000 leaders over the past 20 years or whatever less than 10% are actually what they would call versatile leaders and these are the people that we really need we need versatile leaders the good thing is you can teach that and so I recommend people take a look at that. Uh, and then finally, take, I, 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 I always say now, I say, we all have superpowers. Okay. What we need to do is, people need to do is discover what your superpower is and use it to help people. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. So, Gary, I really appreciate you taking the time out to talk to us today, and uh, good luck with what you do. Thanks very much, Jim. I really appreciate, as I said, I really appreciate the opportunity, and thanks for what you do because you're passing a lot along a lot of knowledge to a lot of people. Thank you. Well, have a great day. You too. Thanks. Well, I hope you enjoyed our podcast with Gary. As he states, discover your superpowers and use them to help others. And don't forget to be a lifelong learner. We are never too old, young, or whatever to learn. People learn so much from both their own experiences and those of others. So if you have some experiences that you would like to share, just contact me at youarejustanumber.com. Until next time, have a great day.